So you may be asking yourself, where's this idiot been? Well, let's find out this week of the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Hello, everyone, and welcome to what I'm pretty sure is episode 103 of the Upper Memory Block podcast. Uh, As always, or as you may have been used to a long time ago, uh, I'm your host, Joe, and uh, I'm here to talk to you, not necessarily this time, uh, specifically about a game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era, but I thought before we jump back into that, I would uh, give you guys a little bit of a... A lead-in show. Uh, we've got a couple of emails that have sort of piled up over uh, over the past, if my math calculations are correct, seven months since the last show came out. So uh, yeah, this is just a little um, little check-in before uh, we move on to the next show, the long-awaited show on uh, Defender of the Crown. So I guess the the big question on everyone's mind. It's not really a big question because I've been pretty upfront about it. Um, The show (laughs) sort of went on an unexpected, unplanned seven-ish month hiatus. The last episode that came out was, I believe, back in June of 2017. And it is now January of 2018. So happy new year to all all you blockers out there. And um, yeah, so, you know, just, uh, I mean, as, as you all know, back in October of 2016, the UM baby was born. And, you know, I thought when she was real young that, um, you know, that took up a lot of time and it was crazy. And, and I went on about a four month kind of break and this and that and had some guest shows. And, and that was awesome. And then I thought, hey, this is awesome. She's, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months old. And uh, things are really, really easy now, and I have time to do the show, and I have time to do the research and write things and and do all of that. And, uh, well, you know what? It turns out that once you have a kid and they get to be about one year old, they're actually a lot of work, and they actually take up a lot of time, and you actually are really tired <laughs> from chasing them around. I'm actually able to podcast right now because she is taking her nap, which I hope to God will last an hour or two. But um, yeah, so that's really the main, you know, between that and my wife going back to work because, you know, in Canada, we have a one year maternity or parental leave. So my wife took a year off. She was off work for a year. And then, you know, back in October, she went back. So that was another big adjustment. And uh, yeah, so, you know, excuse, 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 parent, parent, baby, baby. And then, you know, a bunch of crappy planning because I'm a bad planner on on my part sort of leaves the um, the show as uh, not necessarily back burner, but sort of the thing I feel real guilty about never getting around to because, you know, I think I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times here and there and you know how the sausage is made the way I like to do the show is you know I plan on what game I'm going to cover next I, I tell you guys about it and then I go and I play it for 
you know, at least I would say two to three hours. And, you know, if I feel like I need to, or if I want to, most of the time it's because I want to, uh, I play it for more. I try and finish it if I can, especially with adventure games, because they're kind of, or, you know, games with more progression that are more puzzle based and less the uh, Twitch type skill based. I try to get through them if I can, because, you know, one of the main reasons that I do this show is, is sort of selfish. I like to play old games. I like to reminisce about old games. I like to re-experience or experience old games for the first time. And uh, yeah, so, you know, the the, the playtime with the games I find for myself, especially if I haven't played them, is massively important because how am I supposed to give, you know, an opinion and whatever if, you know, I haven't played the game myself. You can watch Let's Plays on YouTube and all that, but that really doesn't give you the experience so that you can provide an opinion. It doesn't really give you the you know the hands-on feel with with the ui with the gameplay and all that it it shows you the game it shows you the story it shows you all the mechanics and all that but uh, you know you can't really speak to it so you know that takes up a good chunk of time which uh frankly you know weeks go by right now where where i don't touch my machine and uh you know i'm hoping to change that in 2018 (laughs) i i keep saying it but things are in a bit of a rhythm and a routine i know that's sort of going to change, but I, you know, that that's life. <laughs> the routine changes, but you know, I'm, I'm aiming to set up a couple of hours on a schedule each week where I can play the game, get through the, you know, as much of the game as I feel I need to, to provide my opinion on it and then set aside other time where I can sit down and write because, you know, say there's, you know, two to two to five hours of playtime of a game. I have probably another four to six hours where I sit down and I have, you know, a show outline where I, you know, have my different sections. You you hear them. There's kind of a, the whole intro with the emails and all that stuff. And then I get into the overview and the genre and the gameplay and the development story and then sort of the, the verdict. And I, I write up a, a whole bunch of that you know, so that I don't, cause it's a, the show is very information dense. So, you know, I got to sit down and, and write up what is effectively a script so I can get through and, and not miss any of the, the aspects of gameplay. And then especially the development story, uh, you know, that takes a good chunk of time to, you know, a ton of a Google foo and, and things like that to come up with, uh, with all the stuff I write down in there. Sometimes it's easy cause with bigger games, you have a lot of this historical stuff. That's, that's, you know, been compiled already, but with some games, it's a lot of, you know, weird Googling and finding an interview that, you know, a game designer did at CES in like, you know, 2001 talking about a game that they designed in 1993 and, you know, it might be one or two lines out of the whole interview and then you sort of have to pull it back to, okay, well, let's talk about the history, let's research the history of the company instead of the history of the designer and then you find a few more lines that are, you know, focused a bit more on that particular game. And then, you know, sometimes there's another interview or something that was in print that got scanned in that was hosted somewhere that isn't hosted there anymore. So then you got to jump into archive.org and the Wayback Machine and see if you can find, you know, a, a archived version of that site that had it. And sometimes there's things in other languages, especially with a lot of these games from France. Uh, you find some French interviews, which isn't a problem for me particularly, because I speak French, but, you know, I think I had to do a German one once and Google Translate sort of (laughs) came in handy. So, you know, there's a lot of really weird archival, archival stuff 
So, you know, all that to say, putting out a show is a good, probably 10 to 12 hour affair. And then with recording and editing and posting and all that noise. So, you know, finding that amount of time with, with, uh, with the UM baby, with the one, you know, now 15 month old was challenging. And I'm aiming as a quote unquote new year's resolution, which is, I don't do those things, but, uh, we're going to get back to monthly. That's, that's what I'm aiming to do. So I'm thinking next week I'm going to get the, uh, the, uh, what's it called? <laughs> I can't even remember the name of the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm gravelly. Uh, the name of the game, uh, defender of the crown show out. And then after that, I have a guest spot from father beast on, I wish to God, I could remember the name of the game that he was going to cover for me. I will look it up. This is great radio father beast. Uh, uh, transport tycoon. Yes. So father beast after, uh, a couple weeks, maybe, you know, maybe to stick to monthly, maybe some point in February, we'll have father beasts episode out on transport tycoon. And then I will do whatever is next. I believe it might be lost Vikings if I stick to my very out of date schedule. So yeah, that's sort of where, where things are at with the, with the show. And, uh, you know, so like I said, we've got a couple of emails that are backed up, so maybe we can uh, we can jump into those. How about that? Okay, so uh, we do have a few emails, uh, some of which are responses to the last show, which was the uh, the hangout on feats of strength. And uh, let's start with that. So, firstly. And I'm sure a lot of you guys don't even remember sending these emails. I have a nice email from Akago, good buddy, Amory at Akago. And he writes, I actually just remembered a feat of weakness story of my own. So years and years ago, I was invited to a local LAN party that was hosted at the school I was taking an IT course at. Since I normally took the train to, to the school, I had my dad drive me instead uh, for that evening that the LAN party started. I brought along my PC, my monitor, keyboard, mouse, network cable, etc. everything I needed to get going. I come in carrying all this crap in a little plastic folding crate. I get to my designated table, hook everything up, boot up my computer, hook up the network cable, everything's working fine. My dad leaves me and drives off to wait at home for me to call when it's time to leave again. Then suddenly it hits me. Since I formatted my PC a while ago and reinstalled everything, I never bothered to install any drivers for the built-in network card because at the time I always used a Wi-Fi dongle instead. I had no way of connecting to the LAN party network whatsoever. I had no idea what model network card my PC was running, so I had no way of getting anyone else to download the drivers for me. In the end, I had to call back home while my dad was still driving and ask my mom to find the driver CDs for me in my CD rack, then give them to dad when he came back home so he could drive all the way back to where I was and hand them to me, which he did, but obviously he was not happy about the whole affair. Still, everything worked out after that, but it was a massive embarrassment all around. Joy. Uh, On the other hand, I also have a minor feat of strength story. Uh, During our DOS days, My dad always took care of installing and maintaining everything on our PC so me and my brother could play games on it with no problem. So I never really bothered to learn much about that stuff myself. I knew how to use the command prompt and Xtree Gold, but that's about it. 
Come Windows 95, 98, I now had my own PC rather than using my dad's all the time, which was fine, except for one thing. Older DOS games barely worked under Windows anymore. So that required booting back to DOS, except of course, uh, you still had to manually set up the prompt, CD drivers, memory, all that jazz. Somehow, completely on my own, with no outside assistance, I discovered the boot to DOS shortcut in the Windows folder that was made especially for this purpose. It still required some tweaking, uh, for one, there was no CD driver supplied by default, but searching the Win98 CD, I managed to find the right file and copy it over to the hard drive for MSCDEX uh, to use. Got everything set up, got all my DOS games, and all my DOS games worked perfectly once again, and I was a happy kid. Uh, related to this, a friend of my sister's who was into DOS games wanted to give me his copy of BioForge, which I really, which I could not get running under Windows, so I gave it back to him. It wasn't until weeks later that I realized how to set up the whole DOS stuff I mentioned before, so it was then that I realized I could finally play BioForge. Specifically asked him for it, he obliged, and it ran perfectly, all thanks to my own hard work. Well, thanks very much, uh, Akago. And uh, yeah, you know, that was sort of one of the... I remember it being a big controversy at the time with, uh, you know, Windows 95, 98, where... The way it always was with uh, with DOS and Windows up until that point. So you had, you know, I never used Windows 1 and I don't think there was actually a Windows 2. But uh, the way it was with, with Win Windows 3, Windows 3.1, Windows 3.11 was that your primary operating system was DOS. And then Windows was more of a, a shell around uh, around DOS. It had its own, you know, its own memory management, its own environment, its own stuff like that, but it ran on top of DOS. You couldn't install Windows without installing DOS first. And yeah, I remember that the big controversy about Windows 95 was they were flipping that paradigm. So what you would do is you would install, say, Windows 95, and that was your primary OS. And then DOS was a mode within uh within windows 95 so yeah you had to boot into windows 95 and then there was an option to restart in dos mode and that's actually when it would uh if i remember this right i might be wrong about this but you know auto exec and config sys didn't really have any bearing on windows 95 windows 95 was all you know that was like system any and and all of that stuff and then your auto exec and your config would get loaded once you flipped into DOS mode, and that is again, yes, where you would set up your your CD drivers and your, you know, all of that stuff with all the same, you know, tweaks and issues and challenges that you had with DOS. And I remember for a very long time, you know, there was that sort of transitional period where, you know, Windows 95 was out, but it was deemed too clunky, too slow uh, for for games and i think even at that point DirectX was was still a very new thing and you know so that 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 situation wasn't being taken care of wasn't being taken advantage of so i think initially you either had to use very early versions of DirectX, which were sort of flaky and not performant or you still had to write directly to the hardware which i think was a lot more challenging in windows than it was in dos so you'd have this great operating system we got it we actually had a windows 95 beta my dad got his hands on it, and it was at the time where my dad was still. My, so I, I, I've explained this before on uh, on the podcast. My dad was a programmer back in the day. He programmed, you know, on mainframes and in 
uh, on things like DBase 3 and stuff like that. So at that point, when he was doing that day-to-day, he was very, very into uh, computers and technology and making sure everything was working and and all that. And around the time of Windows 95, he was still, he was sort of on the tail end because he had sort of switched careers and became more of a small businessman. And um, he had gotten his hands on a Windows 95 beta. So we installed that on the computer and he got his hands on, uh, you know, a Windows 95 book. So we sort of learned how Windows 95 worked. I was in the uh, the beta for the for the Microsoft network, also known as MSN, and that was free. You could dial into it until Windows 95 went live, then you had to pay, and we didn't care anymore. But uh, And even that was around the time that I got on the internet, so I didn't have to deal with uh, installing third-party uh, utilities to get onto the internet. Uh, you know, In Windows 3.1, you had to install this thing called Trumpet Windsocket uh, so that your... Uh, you know, your modem, your your OS, your computer understood the concept of uh, of TCP IP and sockets and all this stuff. But Windows 95 had that built in. So I just had to create a connection, dial in, and boom, I was on the internet. But, uh, God, I went off on a tangent, uh, didn't I? But, uh, yeah, so you had this great new operating system, and uh, you installed it. But then games that were still coming out, games that had been in development, and even for maybe about a year after, if not more, were still coming out under DOS. So yeah, you had to figure out real quick how to uh, get your DOS games running under Windows 95. A few of them would work just by by running them, but some of them would just say this, you know, this uh, this this program requires MS DOS or something. But so yeah, that was really cool, and I do remember that being a very interesting and, and somewhat challenging and weird time. And I actually, I sometimes I'm very slow to. Um, adopt things. I I'm an early adopter, but if I think something isn't right, I, I very poo, I poo poo it. I'm like, Oh, this is windows 95 is stupid for gaming. And so if a game came out and for again, for a time, the transition sort of happened where games would be installable either under DOS or under windows, I would install them under DOS. It's screw this windows is crap. It's stupid. It's garbage. And, uh, you know, I would run the DOS version and, uh, and yeah, so it was, and you know, eventually now we all know, and you know, things like DirectX and whatever came into it, came into its own and created sort of this nice abstraction layer where instead of having to write to the different pieces of hardware and all that, you would write to DirectX and then DirectX would kind of manage that lower level, you know, interaction with the hardware and the specific drivers and all that stuff. So yeah, uh, really, really cool, uh, feat of feat of strength at least. And as your, as for your fate of weakness, you know, I've, I've done the same not the exact same thing. I've actually never been to a LAN party. Uh, it wasn't really my thing back in the day. But yeah, were you totally like, yeah, I got everything. I'm great. It's perfect. Everything's ready to rock. Everything's ready to roll. And then, oop, unforeseen mistake, unforeseen oversight, and uh, nothing works. You can't do anything. That's like half the description of my job every day. We're like, yeah, we've done everything. We've developed this software. We've developed this app, and we've tested it, and everything's great. Okay, and let's release it. And boom, major bug that we totally missed. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. Scramble, scramble, scramble. The effect, uh, effectively the same result as call your dad to come and bring you the thing that you forgot about. So yeah, great. Amazing. Thanks very much, uh, Akago. And uh, let's jump on to the uh, next one. All right, so our next email is from Paul, and he writes, Hi, Joe and fellow blockers. 
Would you believe I was actually in the USA when the hangout was on? I was over from Australia in the USA on a business trip to visit the rest of my team. The downside was that I was on a plane from Los Angeles to Raleigh via Atlanta at the time, so I wasn't able to make the hangout again. I love this topic, though, because we've all been there. Trying to figure out why a game wouldn't start or trying to make extra memory, I had a heavily optimized boot process back in the DOS 3.3 days with RAM disks for fast access to utilities when booting from floppy disk, a memory marker to uh, allow me to install and remove TSRs, and a couple of other utilities, including one to speed up the display, optimize routines running RAM, not ROM, uh, record keys, and all sorts of stuff I don't remember anymore. Tuning that thing was half the fun. That was when I had an Amstrad PC640, a kind of luggable pseudo laptop that could run for a time on 10 C cell batteries. Oh, such simpler days. CGA monochrome LCD screen, no onboard clock, and two three and a half inch floppy disks, but it had an NEC V30 processor that ran at eight megahertz, a full 101 key keyboard, and 640 glorious kilobytes of RAM. It also had a built-in 2400 baud modem that I regularly used to connect to BBSs and download lots of pictures and the few programs and games I could run on it. I bypassed the whole 286 and 386 era, but friends had them, and I remember discovering somewhere a sys file that could get access to those high reaches of memory above 640k. It worked well for some things, but I discovered, to the cost of my friends, that it had some major incompatibility with WordPerfect 5.0 and would stop them saving anything but text files. This was before DOS 5 built in that upper memory handling. When I finally entered the modern world, I bought a 486DX50 with my first hard disk, a whopping 100 megabytes. The Hangout reminded me of having to go into the BIOS and enter the disk parameters, cylinders, heads, and sectors all manually. There were some BIOSes that only recognized 47 or so standard disk formats too, so uh, though I was lucky to avoid that era. Still, the whole discussion of selecting IRQs for sound cards, serial ports, and printers reminds me of all the work that ISA cards used to create for us. PCI made life so much easier. That 486DX50 processor uh, later got upgraded to 16 megs of RAM, which ran PageMaker and PaintShop Pro very well. Uh, thanks once again for a really fascinating discussion, and I wish I could have been part of it. Have fun, Paul. Uh, P.S. Do you or any blockers remember a game from that era which featured falling down or moving through a tunnel made of white and black squares? Uh, there were power-ups that came towards you, things that shot at you from the walls, and in general, you just had to keep moving and you couldn't stop. A friend had it, but it was just a bunch of files in a directory and came with no instructions. And of course, the name is now obliterated from my memory. But the effect of the speed was striking, and I would love to know what the hell I was supposed to do. Well, thanks, Paul. And uh, yeah, if any of you remember uh, or have any inkling of what that game could have been, that it doesn't ring a bell for me. But uh, yeah, uh, drop me a line, drop Paul a line, post, post in the Facebook group, Twitter, and uh, maybe in the Discord, and we can uh, we can figure that out. And and yeah, Paul, like I wish you could have been on the call. I mean, it was so long ago now. But yeah, I do remember you saying you were able to make it, and then uh, and then you couldn't. But uh, yeah, that Amstrad six forty sounds pretty crazy with the uh with the c-cell batteries i wonder how how heavy are 10 c-cells so c-cells so d's are the the really big ones and then c's are sort of like i don't know 80 percent of the size of the d's and they're 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 substantial so that would for that would have added to a bit of the weight of that thing that was already probably pretty damned heavy and um yeah what was i gonna say oh yeah the bios 
yeah so the thing you know i i i wasn't around in the whole amstrad era when when that stuff was around we had an apple II, and i played a little bit on that but i was quite young but um yeah i i want to say at least with our 286 and probably our 386 and maybe even with the 46 at one point on at least on those two machines uh we had a either a BIOS uh, or sorry, a CMOS battery failure CMOS. Oh God. What does CMOS mean? It has something to do with like batteries. CMOS. Look guys, you guys are seeing me do live research. So CMOS means complementary metal oxide semiconductor. Uh, and yeah, blah, 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 blah. But basically, uh, the 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 CMOS battery, if I remember correctly, is is what sort of kept all that configuration stuff running, or kept it all saved. So, if your machine, if the CMOS battery started going flaky, and it was this little like uh, watch battery that was sitting on your motherboard, pretty much, and yeah, it kept power running to to uh, to a ROM, I, I believe. That kept all that information. So the system system time, a whole bunch of settings, memory speeds, uh, and of course your all your hard drive settings. And yeah, and and I know Paul refers to uh, forty seven different types of hard drives, and I actually never had one of those. So if I remember right, the first forty six drive types were sort of preset. Uh, preset preset for different types of drives so they had a certain number of of heads a certain number of cylinders a certain number of sectors blah 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 and the 47th uh type was basically a user a user drive manual input and you had to remember what all that information was you know how many how many different sectors blah, blah blah which would all change obviously depending on this on the size of sectors of your drive and on how big it was and everything like that so it was a nightmare if that cmos battery died or it got power surge or something funky happened and those settings were lost i i, I eventually learned that you should just write that stuff down. And I believe if you actually like pulled the drive out of the machine and you looked on the label, it would tell you what all that stuff was. Cause I actually, I never until probably our Pentium. Maybe I never had a, a computer that had a manual with it, or I never bought, you know, a hard drive. It, it, it was just, here's a computer. This is the way it is. Everything's already in it. And you know, I've told the story because of my dad and you know, his careers and, all that stuff, you know, it, it's sort of similar to uh, some of these stories that you get out of out of Russia, just with a better hardware. Uh, we would get computers. We wouldn't buy computers. So, you know, my dad would come home and he'd be like, oh, here, I got this XT from work or I got this, you know, 286 from work. And then, oh, well, I have this old 380, this extra 386 at the office. Why don't you go ask my friend who is the owner of the company if you can take it home? And it was all just a scam to get me to not be shy, but... Anyways, yeah, so we would bring home these computers and I'd have no documentation, no reference material about how anything was supposed to be set up. So yeah, if that happened, I didn't have a book where I could go in and say, oh, well, I have a Hitachi blah, 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 or a Mac store or a, you know, whatever, you know, hard drive that has this many cylinders and this many heads and this many sectors and 
all of that. So, yeah, I believe we pulled the drive, checked the label, and I think the stuff was on there. And I can't remember how we figured that out because I don't remember how I learned anything. You know, without Google, without AltaVista, Excite, whatever, you know, without web search because I had some gaming magazines and stuff and I had some old manuals, but really, like, I don't know how I learned how to fix things or how to say, oh, well, you know, we need information about the hard drive, so it's probably on the label. I think I just figured, well, let's look at the hard drive and see how that works. It's, yeah, it's just crazy, like, how we were able to do anything at the time. But, uh, yeah, that I always remember being sort of like the nightmare scenario if your BIOS got wiped because your CMOS battery died. So thanks so much, Paul. Uh, great, great, great email. And yeah, if anyone remembers that game, remember uh, falling down or moving through a tunnel made of black and white squares with power-ups and uh, things shooting at you from the walls. It sort of reminds me of the uh, the pilot proving ground in uh, TIE Fighter, but I don't think it was that. Okay, next we have an email from Mike, and Mike writes, Hi, Joe. I found your show while Google-fooing for point-and-click adventure game podcasts, which led me to your couple of episodes on the King's Quest series. Since then, I've been picking and choosing my way through the archives, which has been like opening time capsules from my childhood. Hearing the music, sound bites, and descriptions of games such as Wolfenstein, Doom, Origins Crusader series, all the Sierra, LucasArts, and other point-and-click adventure games... Uh, takes me back to uh, warm and fuzzy times huddled around that old warm and fuzzy PC monitor with my family and friends brainstorming over how to get the gas from the pump and <laughs> into the into the gas can in full throttle or trying to figure out how many ways there were to kill an enemy in Crusader No Regret. I could write a separate lengthy email sharing my wonderful experiences playing most of the games you've covered so far and perhaps I will in the future. For now though, I just want to say thanks for putting together such an entertaining podcast I love hearing the dev stories behind these cherished games. It's like watching a making of documentary about a favorite movie, only better. On a separate note, I'm curious if you've ever played Christy Marx's two Conquest series point-and-click Sierra adventure games. Oddly enough, considering your fondness uh, for adventure games, I don't think I've heard any mention of these games in any of your podcasts. Uh, both games, uh, but Conquest of the Longbow in particular, are to me the pinnacle of storytelling and atmosphere in adventure gaming, equaling or surpassing even the original Gabriel Knight in King's Quest VI. Longbow, whose plot revolves around the somewhat alternative interpretation on uh, the Robin Hood mythology, was somewhat revolutionary in that it was one of the first games I've ever played where you can do all the wrong things and still finish the game albeit with a very sad ending in which the consequences of all the poor choices you made throughout the game are revealed. The author of the two Cogswest games, Christy Marks, has a very interesting history in video games and other forms of media. I'd love to hear what you can unearth about the conception and development of her career and her wonderful games. So much more to say, uh, what with me just discovering your podcast and catching up with the backlog, but for now I've got to scoot. Hope to stay in touch and become a frequent contributor. Have a great day. Mike, formerly known as Evil Boris. Thank you, Mike. Uh, hey, even amidst all the uh, hiatusy crap, and uh, you know, there's an, even a whole work side to that that I haven't talked about, but basically I have a new job as well, so that uh, was another crappy factor in uh, my sad time management. But, um, you know, I definitely... Uh, 
much like all of you guys, and probably I'd say even worse than a lot of you, uh, I have a very long list of shame. And uh, one part of that list of shame is the uh, the, the Conquest series. I, I know about Conquest of uh, Camelot and Conquest of the Longbow, but I have never played them. I might not even be able to identify them from screenshots, but uh, they are definitely on the list. Uh, your description of them, in you know, in setting at the very least, is is reminiscent of uh, of Defender of the Crown because you know it's all the whole Robin Hood, King Arthur, you know, S- Saxons versus uh, whatever the other guys are. I have a go look at my notes again, and uh, you know, I'm very, very, very interested in uh, in checking uh, checking out that series. I mean, there's there's a couple of uh, of Sierra series in particular that uh, I haven't covered yet. Be that one in particular, uh, the Hero Quest slash Quest for Glory series. That's one that I have touched on those games in in playing them, but I have not played the whole series through in any detail in in my life. Uh, I haven't covered Larry. Uh, I haven't covered any of the Dynamics uh, adventure games. But uh, you know, I sort of there's a couple of big guys that that I've been. You know, I I don't want to get through all of the big name games all in a row. I like spreading them out with some uh, lesser known stuff in the middle, just because you know you don't want to you don't want to blow all the, all the all the big names because those are what sort of get people into the show from uh, Google and and all that stuff. And uh, you know, it's it's also fun for me to uh, to cover things that are less uh, less popular. But yeah, I have never played the uh, the Conquest series and. Uh, I haven't done any research into Christy Marks, so I'm hoping that I will be able to uh, to do that in uh, hopefully in 2018. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's that. Yeah, thank you for for your email. I'm I'm happy to hear anything that you have to uh, any memories you have on on either older games that I've already covered or stuff that is uh, up and coming. And I hope that you are still around, even though there hasn't been a new show in uh, seven months. All right, next we have a little update from Father Beast, who will be, as I said, uh, hosting a guest show in uh, the next uh, couple of weeks. And he writes, hello, Joe and fellow blockers. This is Father Beast. I have an update to my quest for more podcasts talking about old PC games. Most recently, I have heard an episode of Retronauts in which they talked about the classic text adventure Zork. Uh, I ended up doing a search for Zork podcasts and found a few gems. Eaten by a Gru is a podcast dedicated to the old Infocom text adventures. Unfortunately, they have seen they seem to have pod faded after 13 episodes. The Short Game is a podcast dedicated to not older games, but the shorter ones. Uh, they've done episodes relevant to blockers like Grim Fandango, uh, and one on interactive fiction. Uh, Go Back and Play is a retro podcast which has had episodes on a few PC games like the Oregon Trail, Maniac Mansion, Populous, SimCity, and The Secret of Monkey Island. Uh, that's all for now. Looking forward to more classic PC gaming goodness. Father Beast. Well, thanks, Father Beast. And, and I actually do really like these sort of uh, retro PC game roundup podcasts uh, listings that you do because uh, it helps me find some stuff that uh, I am also uh, interested in checking out uh, Retronauts isn't one I really listen to, and I haven't heard these other guys, but one I've definitely been uh, paying attention to over the last uh, year or so is Watch Out for Fireballs. They're they're very uh, 
you know, they, they do more of a broader range of, uh, of games of quote unquote retro games, uh, than I do. They're sort of, they'll go from PC to console and, and all stuff like that. And, uh, where I focus a little more on the making of the games, they focus very deeply on the, the game experience. They go very in, in great detail through, you know, actually through each aspect of the game, through each, especially like more games that are more pro- progressive, if you will, uh, they'll go through each level, you know, different types of enemies, different types of attacks and different, uh, different aspects like that, which, uh, in a lot of ways, I sort of say that it's, it's similar to what I do, but also completely different. So it's cool to see people do different approaches to, to sort of, uh, similar, uh, similar things. So thanks father beast. And, uh, let's keep on rolling. All right, so finally, uh, we have an email from Bill, and Bill writes, started listening some time ago, and it inspired me to buy some of the games, uh, Salmon Max, Indiana Jones, Monkey Island, Loom, uh, that I picked up on GOG. Many of the games you review, I played when they originally came out, so listening is a nice trip down memory lane. I've been playing computer games my entire life, ever since my dad came home, with uh, some console, not sure which one, from the mid-70s. Just remember a plastic revolver used to shoot a bouncing square on the TV. After that, uh, the ubiquitous Atari 2600, Commodore 64, before moving on to quote-unquote real PCs. I well remember struggles with boot discs, Ace of the Pacific, Aces over Europe, EMS, XMS, memory. Uh, Thanks for the show. It's a blast to remember all the fun times and struggles, having to call Bethesda to mail me a disc to patch Dagger Fall. Uh, Bill, a.k.a. Esteldo Medjillian. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe that was a ColecoVision there, uh, Bill. I'm not uh, 100% sure. But uh, anyways, yeah, I mean, as I've said over and over and over and over again, uh, Aces of the Pacific was, and by extension, Aces over Europe, was sort of my my bane of, uh, you know, requiring a huge amount of conventional memory to... uh, to run and i'm glad that uh you know that's sort of one of my goals is not necessarily to force you guys to go and buy games but um you know it does make me feel accomplished when uh you know people mail me and say oh i listened to your episode and i hadn't thought of game x for 20 years and then i noticed that it was available on gog or on steam or on whatever and uh you know, I went out and picked it up and I played it again. And, uh, you know, whatever the result may be, either if you if you loved it or hated it, there's, um, you know, we were just talking about gaming podcasts. Uh, I listen to Gamers with Jobs, which is a really, really great uh, podcast that uh, I found actually through uh, through our, through my good friend Alima. And, um, you know, they, they talk about this a lot, about, you know, going back and playing old games and having it not necessarily always be what you remembered. Sometimes, you know, I can't remember who it is on that show often says, you know, you can't necessarily go home again. And sometimes that's true, but I've found that at least for myself, there are some games that I can absolutely keep going back to. And I keep finding either the same fun that I had or different fun now that I'm, you know, older, more seasoned, more patient 
And other times, no, I find things immensely frustrating, very difficult to to enjoy, and and you know, it sort of makes you wonder how you ever enjoyed them in the first place. Like you know, I've got my my big favorites, a lot of space sims like Wing Commander, like X Wing, Tie Fighter, things like that. I go back, I play those games. It's like I never put them down. I remember all the keys. I remember the experience. I still get lost in the story of you know, like Wing Commander Two and all that stuff. But then, you know, there, there's others like Duke Nukem 3d dark forces, uh, you know, some other stuff like that, that eh, I, I, I don't find them. You know, I think for me, the humor in Duke Nukem 3d just doesn't really land for me anymore. Uh, dark forces. I found that the, you know, the, uh, the levels are a little too mazy. And I actually remember, you know, back in the day, that stupid sewer level, in dark forces, I'd spend hours kind of running through there and going around in circles, not figuring out where to go and not being particularly annoyed aside from the fact that I'd start to get a headache from the CRT monitor. But now it's like I get in and if I don't know where to go, if I'm not really, if there's no clear path to the end, I just get tired. I get bored and I'm done with it. So, you know, it is interesting going back and, and trying those things out. And, you know, some adventure games, like I don't necessarily, you know, spoiler for when I cover the Larry games, I don't really enjoy Larry as much as I used to. Again, maybe the, the sense of humor, the whole Al Lowe thing doesn't really land with me anymore. So I think it's that, you know, sometimes you can't go home again. Sometimes you can. I think if you sort of temper your expectations and just sit with yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to play this game. I used to think it was the best looking game in the world. I definitely thought that of Wing Commander. You know, I've said it a hundred times when I played Wing Commander 1 on my 286. I didn't think a computer game, a computer could make graphics that looked that way. And, you know, going back now, yeah, they're super muddy. Uh, the sprites are weird. And when the ships turn, they don't turn. They sort of like jerk when you change aspects and, and whatever. But if you go in saying, hey, you know what? This game is not going to look the way I remember the way this game looked in my head and the way it looks on the screen are very, very different. And I think, you know, I'm pretty sure we talked about this back in the remakes and remasters, uh, hangout and we'll get back onto the hangouts as well this year. Uh, sort of those sort of dropped in the intervening time. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the best remakes, the best remasters, all they do. And I think, you know, the, the Grim Fandango remaster definitely accomplished this, and the day the tentacle remaster accomplished this for sure was all they did was take the game the way it was and they updated it so that it looked like the way my brain remembers it looking. So, you know, I, I think that's really cool. So thanks, Bill. That's that for the, uh, the email backlog. Thank you guys for, for sending those in despite the, uh, the long hiatus and uh you know very very shortly i'm i'm aiming for uh you know some point next week to have a uh, a release of the next episode on defender of the crown after that uh the release of the guest show from father beast on transport tycoon and then after that i believe we're going to be hitting lost vikings and uh you know i'll post a link to the trello board where uh, i have my my short list of things we're going to do uh we're going to get back to doing hangouts and all that uh, you know, 2018 is going to be the uh, the year of the rebirth of the Upper Memory Block podcast. Thank you guys so much for uh, for hanging out with me. 
uh, going to get back to putting up some YouTube videos. And I actually think there's going to be a little, maybe a minor format tweak to uh, to the show. I may spend a little bit less time focusing on the individual gameplay aspects of uh, of the game, you know, in detailed description in the show. It'll be more of a, a higher level gameplay section. And I will more likely direct you to uh, to a YouTube video to sort of uh, see the details of of that gameplay because I know the the big focus of the episode, aside from you know talking about how the game plays, is the dev story. That's everyone's you know the tech focus, the dev story is sort of everyone's favorite aspects of the game. So to cut down on some of the wordage and some of the writing and all that, I may focus a little less on on details of gameplay and a little more on details of uh, of technical aspects and implementation and things like that. But, uh, you know, we'll play everything by ear, but I do really want to up my uh, my YouTube presence. I know my buddy Trolls or the Space Quest Historian has been doing an amazing job over at his channel doing Let's Plays and uh, and stuff like that. And uh, I'm in a cool little group of uh, adventure, table, adventure game uh, roundtable guys that uh, have been doing some cool stuff. And I really want to jump over there a little more and uh, do a bit more video content, which... Uh, I know some people appreciate. So yeah, that's that. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you very shortly with uh, Defender of the Crown and back on track in 2018. See you all very, very soon here in the Upper Memory Block. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity? Or do you die here? Join. Join.